Thank you, Emma. Let's just pray for Tim as he delivers uh, the word this morning. Actually, you might want to stretch out your hands. Can you use all the prayers we can get? <laughs> well, we all do. <laughs> I won't take it personally. Father God, you're amazing and gracious. We thank you for the word that's been spoken today, for your scripture. And we just pray for Tim. We thank you for his work and preparation in today's sermon. And we pray for power in your word. Anoint him. Speak boldly through him. And just help each one of us to receive this good news, Lord. Help us to really absorb it, to take it away. And may it do something to us, Lord. Yeah, may it do something. There's power in your word. Father, we thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dean. Just before I, I begin, I just wanted to share with you a letter that I received earlier this week from our MP. Um, it had a lovely Easter card in. I, saw, I first saw this card, and I was like, what on earth is this being sent for? Because the envelope had actually broken. Um, but then I found the letter, and I just wanted to share with you uh, what Sarah has said. She says, as your local MP and Labour's shadow minister for faith, I'm writing to wish you and your congregations a very happy Easter ahead of Easter Sunday. Of course, this was written a few days ago. And the children and staff from Parkley Primary School sent me a wonderful Easter card this week, and I wanted to share that joy with you. I know how sacred this time of year is for you. Holy Week is an opportunity for reflection, time to contemplate the range of emotions that the story in the Gospels brings. Easter reunites families in church and at home. I also know how busy Easter is for the leaders behind what churches are providing. This year we're making preparations for in-person celebrations after two years of being put under strain by lockdowns, loss of funds, staff sickness, congregants passing away, and all the other tolls of this cruel pandemic. On top of the offerings you'll provide your congregations and communities this Easter, I want to thank you for all you have contributed to our part of Luton over the past two years. Running food banks and debt relief centres, championing adoption care, addressing the climate crisis, supporting our local rough sleepers and the growing numbers of families in poverty, the impact of the church's work cannot be understated. Now as the crisis in Ukraine deepens and Britons are opening their homes to refugees fleeing war in Europe, I know that you will be at the forefront of welcoming them here. Just as churches around the UK have led on welcoming Syrians, Hong Kongers, Afghans, and many other vulnerable communities seeking a refuge, myself and my colleagues are eternally grateful for the generosity and compassion of our Christian community. I know that the motivation behind all you do is your belief in Christ and your determination to put that faith into action. At this time of year, I think of how you've drawn inspiration from the Easter story of life conquering death, light breaking through the darkness, and the love of Jesus overcoming the power of evil. The fresh start given to refugees arriving into the UK is the same promise of renewal the Easter story offers to Christians. It's a beautiful thing to witness. And so I wish you all a wonderful Easter and a peaceful season ahead. Of course, we are a welcome, on the welcome 
Church Network now welcoming refugees. Anybody who comes to this country can go and find, go onto the Welcome Churches page and see that we are here and we are open and we are ready and willing and welcome, welcoming to anyone. I just, it was the line that she wrote in here, the, in, the Easter story of life conquering death, light breaking through the darkness and the love of Jesus overcoming the power of evil. That's my job done. <laughs> There's the sermon. <laughs> Not quite. But it, it was a joy to receive, and I just had to share that with you. And again, my thanks to all of you for all the support you've shown over the last two years while we've been through all of these different restrictions. This is the first Easter we're together in three years where we can actually sing. In 2020, we were locked in our homes. In 2021, we were gathered here, but we couldn't sing. We had to hum along as hard as it was. <laughs> this year, we are gathered together. We've been able to share breakfast. We're gathered together, and we're able to worship the Lord. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Amen. Well, I wonder how do you feel when you're tired? When you're really, really tired? Do you hallucinate and make things up? Do you make sense when you're talking to people? Apparently, I don't make much sense when I'm tired. I tend to do things that I wouldn't ordinarily do, which are really clumsy, which leads Amanda to say to me, I think you're really tired. <laughs> In the sort of voice where you know it's time to then go to sleep. <laughs> I've had that quite a lot this week. What we've been through, when we've been through something that is really emotional, that takes its toll on us, we end up feeling quite raw. I think the whole pandemic, the last two years, as we hear of what's going to happen going forward, it left us really raw. When before I was ordained, I used to help on a Cypher Venture Camp. And you always knew that that week of your summer holidays was always going to be one where you would be shattered by the end of it. Because the, the teenagers didn't go to bed till about gone 11, and that you had to be up again at 7 to get ready for breakfast. But you couldn't go straight to bed at 11 because there was stuff to set up for the day after. You were living on four or five hours sleep a night. And by the end of the week, everybody was left really raw. And it used to affect us in more ways than one. Because it was an emotional roller coaster. Because every year we would always tell the full story of Jesus. From birth, through to the cross, through to the resurrection and what it means. In many ways, friends, Holy Week is something of an emotional roller coaster. So much has happened since we were last here in church on last Sunday when we did our pretend procession of Jesus entering Jerusalem. In those seven days, so much has happened. The world has changed forever. When we think of Holy Week, it often leaves people really tired. And actually, it is quite a churchy thing if you think about it. If you were to go out onto the streets and say, what does Monday Thursday mean to you? I bet not many people would turn around and say, well, it's when Jesus had the Last Supper with his disciples and then he was betrayed by Judas. If you go to somebody and say, What's, what does Good Friday mean to you? It's very unlikely they're going to say, well, Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins. They're probably going to go, well, it's an extra bank holiday. I've got a long weekend. Woohoo. It is a churchy thing. But it is a very important thing because it is key to our faith. The significance of Holy Week should never be overlooked because it is key to why we do what we do on a Sunday and out when we put our faith into action. If we overlook it, we miss out on some of the most important events that took place over 2,000 years ago in Israel. 
If we jump straight to the resurrection, from Palm Sunday to the resurrection, what does the resurrection mean? Because as far as we're concerned, we've missed, the good, we've missed good Friday and Jesus hasn't died. We have to engage with the whole of the story. Because if we miss out on Monday, Thursday, and we miss out on Good Friday, and we miss out on the sheer desolation and lack of hope of Holy Saturday, it's only by entering into those that we can truly then start to understand what today means and why today is so important for our faith. It's an emotional roller coaster for us living in 2022, going through the events of Holy Week. But just imagine what it would have been like for those first disciples. They didn't know what was coming at the end. Palm Sunday, Jesus turning the tables, the Last Supper, the betrayal, the trial, the crucifixion, the despair. That all precedes where we get to today. That all precedes the John 20 reading that Emma read for us and the account of the resurrection. The disciples, I imagine, are probably absolutely exhausted from everything that has happened. Indeed, on Monday, Thursday evening, they couldn't keep awake for one hour. Jesus says to them, can you not keep watch just for one hour? We know that Peter has been up through the night watching the trial of Jesus, denying him three times. And when the cock crows on Good Friday morning, we know that he goes and weeps bitterly. I think they would have probably been feeling incredibly raw from the emotional roller coaster that they had been through. And then the Savior dies. This person who they followed for three years dies on the cross. What must have been going through their minds? I remember when I got home from the hospice the day that my mum died, and I walked through the door and thought, what on earth do I do now? I imagine those disciples will have been thinking something similar. What do we do now? When we read John 20, you can almost sense the despair in Mary's voice as she comes running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. I can imagine her saying, guess what, guys? Something else has happened. Just when we thought it couldn't get any worse, the Lord's been taken from the tomb. And we don't know where he is. You can just imagine it, the sense of despair, and oh no, not something else. But I love how much detail John goes into in his account of the resurrection. He says, so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb, verse 3. Verse 4, both were running, and we're even told the other disciple outran Peter. All of these little bits that John shares about who gets to the tomb first, they ran, they didn't walk. All of those little bits show that this is a true account of something that actually happened and Jesus did rise from the dead. You can almost imagine the sense of what do they do when they arrive at the tomb and look in, but see the linen strips there. Simon Peter catching up, probably out of breath, going, God, you run quicker than me. But he shoves him out of the way and goes straight into the tomb. That's what John tells us. That Simon Peter was last, but he goes straight into the tomb. And then the disciples return to their homes. Probably thinking, what do we do now? Our Lord Jesus' body has gone. But Mary stays. Mary stays. And she is weeping. And boy, you can't blame her after everything that has happened over these last few days. I can't blame her for sitting there and weeping. I just want him to stay where Jesus was laid. Then the angels 
appear. Then Jesus appears as Mary thinks, the gardener. And what follows is, I think, a very intimate moment in Scripture. It's one that shows us just how much Jesus cares for us and how much he knows about us. Why are you crying, he asks. Why are you crying? Where is my Lord, says Mary. And Jesus simply replies, Mary. And it's at that very moment when Jesus calls her by name that she realizes the gardener is in fact Jesus. It's not until the name is mentioned where she realizes who he is. Can you imagine the sense of emotion there must have been for Mary? Distraught that the Lord was no longer in the tomb, thinking he'd been moved and the body had been stolen, and then in the next moment, the gardener saying, Mary. What must have gone through her mind at that point? The Lord Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, nonetheless, had called her by name. Friends, that's what Easter is about. We too are called by name by the risen Jesus. When everything seems lost, when there just seems to be hope and hopelessness and despair in the world, as we look at the news, as we keep praying for peace in Ukraine, as we hear of everything else that's going on in the world, it's easy to feel despair. But when we feel lost, when we feel that despair, hear Jesus call you by name because he knows you. Whether you know him or not, he knows you and he calls you by name. And in that calling by name, he is welcoming us into the heavenly family. Jesus says, Mary. Mary cries out, Rabboni, which as John tells us means teacher. He then goes on in verse 17 says, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Now looking at John's gospel, we can see that through those few words, everything has changed. Up to this point, we've heard about the Father whom Jesus has spoken of. Yet now, in John's gospel, he speaks of your Father, my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Everything has changed because Jesus has beaten death. Something has decisively altered something has been achieved and the disciples which includes friends me and you are now welcomed into a new world where we can know God the way Jesus knew him where we can know him as children of the heavenly father as we celebrate that Jesus is risen from the tomb no matter how tired we are whether we think we're hallucinating or not Jesus is alive he is alive today and will remain alive Jesus calls us by name and invites us into the best relationship possible, one with our Father and our God. There is nothing better in life than that relationship with our Father. That, friends, is what is achieved through this day. Through all the pain, the horror, the despair of Good Friday, of Holy Saturday, when we get to today, we can have, uh, we know that we can have a relationship with the Father Because Jesus became the sacrifice for our sins on that cross. He was nailed there. He hung there for me and for you. 
And it is such a big event that we cannot comprehend what it must have been like on that cross or as one of those disciples there in person on Golgotha watching Jesus die. It's too easy for us to get to Good Friday and think, well, this is the day that Jesus was nailed to the cross and Easter Sunday is the day that he rose again. It rolls off the tongue easily, almost too easily, and we actually forget the impact that these events had Jesus is bringing us back from the great exile that happened in Eden, back in Genesis when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge and were banished from Eden. Jesus is bringing us back. Here now we have the invitation into the Father's house where we are all welcomed as a son or daughter of the King. Perhaps this morning for us we should imagine ourselves standing with Mary, looking into that tomb, weeping, thinking, going on tears are rolling down Mary's cheeks perhaps it's worth bringing somebody to mind or something to mind a situation that is really hard for us at the moment maybe it's as we see all the horrific pictures from Ukraine of the refugees fleeing of families being torn apart while the men stay behind to fight and the women and the children flee maybe it's a family member or a friend who's got a bad diagnosis But I want you to hold that person in your mind and stand with them next to Mary at the open tomb. Tears have their own natural rhythm. We can't just turn them on and turn them off as we want to. And as we stand outside the tomb with that situation or that person, perhaps we need to actually stoop down and look into the tomb itself. Because it doesn't stop on Friday with the cross. And the church and Christians, we're quite good at that, stopping on the cross. We say it's all about the cross. But friends, it's not all about the cross. Because as we stoop down and look into that tomb, with whatever situation we are facing, with whatever person we are facing, we are in for a surprise. Because the angels appear. They weren't there when Peter and the other disciple had looked in. Perhaps Mary is seeing the angels through her tears. And with Mary's tears, it's not just tears because her Lord is no longer there and she thinks he's been taken away, but it's symbolic of the world's grief, of Israel's grief. And it's all concentrated in this one person on this one morning 2,000 years ago. As we look into the tomb with whatever it is that we are facing, we are surprised because the tomb is empty. The angels appear. Why are you looking here? And then as we turn around, we see the gardener standing there. Now in many ways, Mary is completely wrong about it being the gardener. But in many other ways, she is completely right. Because we are now in the new creation. Jesus is the beginning of it. The new Adam, the gardener who will bring chaos, sorry, who will bring the chaos of the world into order. Where it can produce flowers and fruit And the conversation between Mary and Jesus at this point, when she says, what have you done with my Lord? It's a classic Johannine example of someone getting the wrong idea before they're put right, getting the wrong end of the stick. But in that moment, when Mary is weeping and saying to the gardener, where is my Lord? I encourage you, whatever that situation was that you pictured, hand it over to the Lord. Hand it to that gardener. 
that person who you maybe have a diagnosis, the war in Ukraine, our, our resolu- we want peace there. Let's hand that to the gardener in the tomb, in the, sorry, in the garden on this Easter morning. Allow Jesus to take it. Because it's when we hand over our burdens and our pain to Jesus that we can finally hear him call our name. Mary is weeping. It's only when Jesus says, Mary, she goes, Rabboni. For us, whatever it is that we are facing, let's hand that to Jesus and let's hear him call our name this morning. The risen Jesus who has defeated death calls you by name, friends. We know Jesus. He is the same, yet he is different. And as Paul tells us later, he is the firstborn of the dead. As Jesus calls our name this morning, the risen Jesus calls our name this morning, let his love and his healing flow over us. Indeed, let his love and his healing flow over this land, because boy does it need it. And let his love and his healing flow over Ukraine and Russia, because they especially need it. The Lord's love and healing is flowing out. Are we willing to step in and receive it and hear him call our name? It's a very intimate moment. Mary, Rabboni. A lot of the time as the church, as I've said, we encourage people to take things to the foot of the cross and to leave them there. And indeed, it's something I often do. Each day, I try to take my burdens back to the cross. But what if we took our pain and our burdens beyond the cross and gave them to the gardener on Easter morning? What if we give them to Jesus, the risen Jesus? What if we are the ones weeping at the empty tomb when we think all is lost? Then we turn to the gardener and ask for his help and we hear Jesus call our name. Because there is power in the name of Jesus. As the song goes, there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Let's let his love and his mercy and his healing flow out over us, over our town, over our country and over the world. That's what Easter does, friends. Because Jesus has defeated death. Death is no more. Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus goes on to tell Mary not to hold on to him, for he has not yet returned to the Father. And in many ways, this is Jesus telling us that from now on, things will be different. The relationship with him from this point on is going to be different. For those first disciples, he is no longer going to be walking around Galilee and Judea with them. He is no longer going to be sharing meals with them, talking and praying. There would be times when see the disciples but soon he would go to the father as we read over and over in the final discourse in John 14 to 17 and interestingly Mary is not upset by this she doesn't weep that Jesus is going to the father she in many ways is the apostle to the apostles because she is the one that goes back and tells the 11 disciples the news that Jesus is alive Mary Magdalene has a very important part to play when she says to the 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 apostles This is what has happened. This is what Jesus has said. And when we move on to the Acts reading, we see what is happening after the resurrection and after the ascension when Peter summarizes the gospel. He summarizes the faith. And I love how he says, you know the message God sent. You know what has happened throughout Judea. You know. Friends, we too know what has happened. 
We are witnesses of everything he did, says Peter. He was killed, but God raised him from the dead. All the prophets testify about him, and we receive forgiveness in his name. That is what Peter preached in Cornelius' house, and that is what we too can preach in 2022. That he was killed, but God raised him from the dead. We testify about him, and we receive forgiveness in his name. It's a powerful sermon from Peter. The disciples have a story to tell. And now they find the story is about Jesus himself. And as we read through Acts, we find that the name of Jesus has a lot of power. If we carried on to verse 44, just after where I read and finish, it goes on to say, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Friends, there is power in the name of Jesus. The Spirit comes on the Gentiles and from here will spread to everywhere else in the world. What we find is Peter speaking in Cornelius' house saying that there truly is no barrier to baptism. There is no barrier to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says God does not show favoritism, but he accepts anyone. It means there are no ethnic, geographical, cultural or moral, moral barriers anymore. Everyone is offered forgiveness and new life. Western society in today's age has become in many ways too easygoing and too tolerant of everything. And we've all entitled to our views. We've lost the sense of the meta-narrative. We've lost the sense of that Jesus is in charge. Jesus is the ruler of the world. Jesus has defeated death. That's the story that we need to be sharing, not, well, what do I want to do today or tomorrow? I wonder how many Easter eggs have been sold this year. I hear it's in billions. And apparently next year, Easter eggs are not going to be allowed the center of the, at the supermarkets because of the new obesity drive. So Easter eggs will not be at the forefront, whereas what do we do? We go into the supermarket, we see the eggs, and we know it's Easter. But how many people, when they look at those eggs, realize what they symbolize? Or is it just, oh, look, eggs are out. It's an Easter weekend. We've got four days off work. We're who? How many hot cross buns have been sold? Do we just idly go and eat them and think, well, that's nice. It's Easter. But actually, it's the cross of Jesus Christ on there. And the egg is a symbol of new life. What we see is that Cornelius doesn't want God to simply tolerate him. But Cornelius wants God to accept him. He wants to be accepted, welcomed, forgiven, healed, and transformed. And that's exactly what happened to Cornelius. And that's exactly what can happen to me and to you this Easter time. We can be welcomed into the family of God. We can be forgiven. We can be healed. We can be restored. We can be transformed. We are made new. When Jesus calls us by name, just as he did to Mary in that empty tomb on that first Easter, we can celebrate the fact that Jesus died for us and bore our sins on Calvary so that we could have a new way to the Father. On Good Friday, the curtain in the temple is torn in two. It's significant because it means we have access to Jesus. It was reserved for the Holy of the Holies in the Old Testament. Whereas now that curtain being torn in two symbolizes that we can have access to the Father. Jesus tells Mary that his Father is now our Father and our God. He is my Father and my God. He is your Father and he is your God. This Easter, friends, I want you to hear Jesus call your name. I want you to receive from him that healing, that forgiveness, that transformation that he wants to give to you. There is power when Jesus calls us by name, but there is power when we call on the name of Jesus. 
If we call on his name, we too can be welcomed, forgiven, healed, and transformed. Jesus died for us on that Good Friday. He took our sins on that cross when he was nailed to it, but the story does not end there. The tomb was empty on Easter morning. Jesus calls Mary by name. Allow Jesus to call you by name this morning. And when he does, receive his healing, his forgiveness. And we too can then exclaim, Rabboni. Amen.